the underground to rise. If y'all are feeling me, throw your fist up, let me hear you say what? Come on! Everybody. Welcome to Solidarity Radio, episode number two. <laughs> Air horns. It's your boy Ted James here with Jason. Jason Schneider. Jason Schneider. Ted James, Jason Schneider. One of those four names is a pseudonym or a middle name. Yeah, it's so, your middle name, isn't it? Yeah, James is my middle name. Or mine. Yeah, maybe maybe serious about it. Maybe Jason is your pseudonym, Jade. I think on episode one we called you Jade Al. Jade Al. But because uh, because uh, Snoop Dogg says Tadal. Tadal. And I thought that sounded like Ted, like Tadal. And then and so I, I started calling you Tadal. And then I flipped the script. And then you started calling me Jade Al, and I was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> So we are coming to you once again. Uh, live. Lovely. Previously yeah, recorded. Yeah, live on tape, <laughs> as Stephen Colbert would say. We're coming to you from sunny Denver. It's about a balmy 55 degrees. Fact uh, check, it's 56 degrees currently. Sunshine and clouds mixed. It's about uh, mid-afternoon on uh, Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. Is it February already? It is freaking oh, February. God, what so, happened in January? Uh, it like it went like that, like like Tom Brady trying to catch a pass in the New England Patriots Super Bowl chances. It went like that, uh, wow. right through your. Congratulations feet. to the Philadelphia what Eagles. What you know about Philly? Philadelphia he never won any major title. Yeah. They won before the NFL was formed when yeah. they were still uh, AFL or whatever they were, right? E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles! That's, does every team have one of those fight songs? Fly, or is that Eagles, unique fly. to, like, the Eagles when I it comes no to idea. professional sports? All the college teams have a college fight song. Right. But how many professional teams have a, a fight song? I have no idea. I That's think Philly's like an question. old team, right? Yeah, they're pretty old. So too. it goes back far enough to where every team always had a fight song, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Fly what'd you Eagles, think of the, fly. Uh, what'd you think of the halftime show? The JT? Yeah. Is I. Do you like it? Is I. Yeah? I. I was at a, a house party here in Denver, and everybody was completely quiet during the entire performance. They were all just watching, not talking, but as soon as the game came back on and the commercials came back on, they were all talking again. So I thought at first... Um, wow, you know, he's doing, he's killing it up there. Everybody's, you know, here just, you know, completely quiet folk, you know, dialed in, right? Then I started hearing all of the criticisms of, uh, JT. Yeah. And, uh, uh, first that he should not have used Prince's, uh, likeness. Yeah. And Prince, when he was alive, talked about not being, uh, never performing with a hologram version of a person who's already passed away. It was demonic in his, uh, yeah. in his eyes. So I look, think originally they were going to do a real hologram. A real they, hologram, and right? And then they scrapped that when his family said that he that w- he wouldn't have liked that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like that's what Michelle said to me was, didn't somebody have to sign off on that from like the Prince Estate or something, right? 
So yeah. because it wasn't a hologram per se, but it was a projection on a on a large silk uh, um, screen or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it was like his original vocals. I saw an interview between Jimmy Fallon and and JT. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, yeah the same night. Super same Bowl night. Show, yeah, yeah. Following yeah. right. I saw that too. Uh, probably millions of people saw it, and I'm talking like, oh, I heard this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you hear this. Um, but no, I thought it was I thought it was okay too. Uh, I'm not a huge Justin Timberlake fan. I, I, yeah. I I'll admit that I like loathed all the boy bands when I was a boy growing up. Right. Uh, because they were everything that I wasn't. That my girlfriends who I wanted to <laughs> get together with, you know that that was they idolized that, and I was like, that's not me. So yeah. I, I I resented back then. Yeah. Uh, but I, we've come a long way since. So. Right on. Yeah, JT's cool. I mean, JT's I'm, okay with me. I'm uh, I'm not a huge fan. Don't hate on him. I think he's got talent. Um, but you know, I didn't think it was one of the mo- nothing about that performance blew my mind. I personally enjoyed and thought the Prince stuff was cool. So uh, I thought the microphone work on that one song, wearing uh, black. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was dope. That that was fun. Yeah, where he was kicking it around. I thought it was like on a regular stand, so I was like, "Oh no, he dropped the mic," and then it bounced back up. Right, right. But yeah, fly eagles fly. So fly um, eagles fly. What does that have to do with organized labor? I don't know. So that's what I was going to say about solidarity radio, right? Right. So that's a little bit of a well. It kind of gives a timestamp because our last and first episode of Solidarity Radio was recorded last year. June, I think, end of June 2017. Uh-huh. And then we um, we released it on Labor Day, September 2017. And we didn't promote it at all. And yet, somehow, on the interwebs, SoundCloud, specifically the Cloud of Sound, um, it's cloud just steadily, on that Cloud of Sound, it's steadily gotten some listens. So uh, we're pretty impressed. Without, nice. without promotion, people have found yeah, it. Just organic, listened right? to it. Um, so kind of the plan for 2018 here on Solidarity Radio is we're going to record four, you know, baby steps. We're going to record, uh, one podcast every three months and, uh, we're going to release them. I'll, I'm going to do my best to get, uh, the pod up on, on the, um, podcasts, the Apple podcast or Google play, put it out on all the outlets. So it's not just on that cloud of sound, um. The cloud of sound. But uh, but for this year, um, you know, we talked a lot on our first episode that we're both super um, busy, don't have a huge amount of time to commit to podcasting. It's true. But something we're interested in uh, in building and growing organically, like you said. So we're going to do four in 2018. February is that good. it? Are we committing right now to four in 2018? Yes. We're doing it, Jason. I'm free four. tomorrow if you want to go again. Yeah, well, so we could get in. Uh, <laughs> if, if you guys, the listeners out there, want to blow this thing up for us um, so we can just, you know divert our attention away from other things into podcasting we'll happily do that and put out like one a week one a day four a day i would go full-time with this if uh if there was a way to physically do it now it's not that far from 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 reality because i i'm probably as happy as i've ever been right now with as little as i've ever had Mm-hmm. So like leaving the workforce and then you know just I just drive for Lyft and Uber right right and uh, I don't it's a it's a pay cut it's a pay cut for me yep and uh, I was just thinking like I've never been so happy with so little and um, it's it was a scary departure from organized labor 
which we're going to get to talking about here in a little bit. We right? promise. <laughs> boys and girls, this will turn into a labor podcast at some point. But seriously, I think that if you're not going to go the route, like a lot of millennials are, of self-employment, small business ownership, that seems to be the trending right now. Yeah. Where you'd work 40, 80 hours for yourself a week before you'd work 40 hours for somebody else. I'm, I'm living that difference right now. Yeah. Coming from a job where I worked 40 hours for managers who were great people outside of work, but inside, you know, where uh, uh, hands were forced, we'll say. Mm-hmm. The most sympathetic of managers had their hand forced by their higher-ups and their non-bargains, so they don't have any protection or recourse. Uh, they can either toe the line or leave. That's their choices. Uh, so we need to talk today about some organized labor things. Um, how do we get more people involved in organized labor? How do we get more people covered on it by organized labor, protected by organized labor? And ultimately, how do we grow as a society and right. move in a direction that's more positive and beneficial and, and more prosperous for us all? And like a um, seasoned veteran co-host, Jason has come with a list of uh, notes and topics to discuss, so I really appreciate that, because <laughs> literally up until five minutes before we hit record, I was um, tying up loose ends as, a, um, as an organizer and just doing my real, um, you know, the real central part of my work which you're is, one of those paid protesters <laughs> aren't you I, I am a paid protester i'm a paid I, I social people, justice warrior when you go to a protest or a demonstration or a rally or a whatever right yeah isn't that normally outside of your work hours well so i i don't really consider myself as having work hours yeah like, it's kind of a 24 7 right yeah you, I, your dedication i know there's a lot of uh variation among organizers and i know as uh, somebody that's seeking to be uh, healthy mentally, that uh, there's times I should turn off work, you know, just detach, unplug. I'm trying to get better at that, but my general philosophy as an organizer is that I'm available to yeah. the, the workers I'm you working have to be with. Kinda. Right? Any hour, any day. Yeah. Um, so I just You're work. the supply for the demand. <laughs> and that demand comes <laughs> sometimes like a, like a sink faucet and sometimes like a fire hose. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really have work hours, but to your question, I don't really consider, um, you know, I don't really consider the thought that when I show up at a, a rally, a labor protest, a, a picket line, uh, any of that, that I'm like being paid to be there. No. I'll be there one way or the other. You, you can always easily show 40 hours of other stuff you did for the cause and the movement and, and, and your union, right? Right, right. So right. when they make that argument, about, oh, but you're paid protesters. I, uh, man, I laugh because uh, when I was doing it with you, we were easily putting in 40, 50, 60 hour weeks Mm -hmm. and going to whatever the event was that we were trying to build our coalition. Right. It was always like further to like the regular day-to-day stuff. It was never part of like what we were paid for, salaried to do. And if you really look at who's paying for people, it's uh, some of the candidates for offices or people in elected offices that will put things on Craigslist like, hey, right. 10 bucks an hour for anyone who can show up at this thing and register. Yeah. Um, it's called uh, AstroTurfing. AstroTurfing. Yeah, I don't, I don't I never heard that one before. A much 
uh, which is, in my opinion, a normal strategy of the far right, maybe the Tea Party movement, maybe our current president, Donald Trump. You accuse your political opponents of doing the things that you're actually doing. Like, I know during the Tea Party rise in 2010, like, the Koch brothers and a lot of these... um, organizations that were trying to stir up this like um this backlash against obama were paying people and busing them in for these tea party protests interesting so and then uh you know so is it safe to say potentially that everybody astroturfs everybody does it to some extent uh, i mean i've i've heard of stories of unions doing it and uh-huh. not and i even heard of not my union but i've heard of stories <laughs> of unions uh not only paying people to you know join a picket line or uh or a protest but not even paying a like 15 dollar fair wage to have people do oh, this God. maybe so, that's maybe that's the next so movement. yeah but i mean like like anything, and I think we might have brought this point up on uh, the last podcast, like, you know, with any large-scale human endeavor, there's going to be corruption, there's going to be bad apples, there's going to be bad actors, and so, um, you know, the right, the corporatocracy, the um, people that are invested in killing the labor movement are going to zero in on every single instance of that with a, uh, with a spotlight in the labor movement to try to discredit us. Uh, but for every example they can put up of a bad actor in the labor movement, I can point to minimum 10 of even more severe corruption in corporate America, right? Like, um, so, yeah. for what um, that's worth. I've heard it referred to as whataboutism. Yeah. You right. know, like, what about what they're doing? Right. You're calling me out for my shit, but what about what they're right. doing on the other side over there? Well, President Trump just did this yesterday in a speech. Was it yesterday or the day before? Where he accused Democrats that didn't, you know, didn't stand or applaud him at the State of the Union. That's being said, treasonous. Treasonous, right? Treason. And that's like straight out that's of his playbook. While he is like under investigation for potentially treasonous um not necessarily him, but people in his campaign having, you know, treasonous relationships with another foreign government that yeah. was interfering in our election, you accuse your political opponents of doing what you're under investigation for. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> statements like that that he made about calling them treasonous that get him labeled as a dictator. Right. Because he can't accept criticism, and that's what it was. It was open criticism in the form of taking a seat, just like right. taking a knee during the anthem. It's not to disrespect the flag, it's to take a stand against something that you see as an injustice in our in our society today. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, not not a fan of Trump personally. I mean, I liked him on The Apprentice. Um, but I liked I, him on Home Alone too. He <laughs> smashed that cameo on Home Alone too. I, I'll be. I'm very interested to see what happens in the next couple of years, <laughs> 2020. Uh, anyway, we got way off track. So we were talking astroturf. Oh, because I'm a. I'm a, You joked about me being a paid. Paid protester. A paid social justice warrior. Ironically, back to the Super Bowl, just as an aside, before we get into our, like, list of topics for the day, did you see the T-Mobile Super Bowl commercial? I I saw the video. I didn't hear the audio. Something with babies and changing or something, I think, right? Yeah, so it was kind of this cool message about diversity, um, but in it, 
T-Mobile, uh, you know, says, like, basically about the babies, they're going to fight for fair and equal pay. Oh. And I was sitting there watching that. Where have we that. heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> sitting there watching that, like, oh, I'm going to have fun with this tomorrow on Twitter uh, during the Super Bowl. Um, anyway, uh, they yeah. got this huge... Uh, I'll talk a little more about what, you know, my take on uh, the T-Mobile. hypocrisy there, but they got this huge backlash from, like, you know, Trumpians and like the far right saying they're going to switch their service. How dare you, you know, how dare you subject us to the social justice warrior stuff. We we're, we're just watching the Super Bowl to be entertained. We don't need your commentary on blah, blah, you know, it's a, it's a belief that if you claim something enough, then everybody will take it for truth. Yeah. So like currently in our government politics, there's lots of claims being made of like how great things are and they're factually inaccurate. Um, which is fine, right? I get that you want to promote a, a positive image, which is exactly what I saw T-Mobile doing then in that commercial with the babies. And I saw the, you know, the captions and stuff, time for change or change or whatever. Right. But you, you specifically have done so much work with employees at T-Mobile that you have a very different, uh, view, a, a, a worldview of T-Mobile, right? Because I think T-Mobile has the potential to be everything that it's, wanting and claiming to be in its industry like the uncarrier that is like you know the go-to that people like they want it more than any other provider the service is awesome the features are great and awesome and stuff um and that's why i've struggled so much with the stuff that i did with you for Uh t-mobile that like why can't we flip a switch and convince t-mobile uh, more specifically, John Ledger, right? Yeah. You know, the, the, the most influential person that you can reach. How come we can't flip a switch and get that guy to come to our side right. of thinking that your workforce should be unionized? Like, right. you shouldn't be interfering in that process. You should be aiding in that process. Right. Because if you have if you get a unionized workforce in your company, that it's not unique because AT&T already has it, and that's who I worked for previously. Um, but... You can you can unionize your workforce and go against the grain of other major corporations who currently have an anti-union attitude, right? Yeah. You can do what the other ones aren't doing. You can dare to be the you know, something different, just like your uncarrier right. well, you know, there's moniker. Such, there's such a like um, there's such a detachment between their marketing to millennials. By the way, like all the new studies. Uh, a, there was an uptick in union membership last year, which was there? phenomenal. Oh, nice. Uh, but, uh, no coincidence that I left right before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like many, many studies, recent studies are suggesting that um, millennials are, you know, very open to being pro-union, to joining unions. They understand they're, they're graduating. We've talked about this a little last yeah. time with the mountain yeah. of debt. Um, it's, you know, it's harder to start a family, harder to get that first home. Um, you know, a lot of these uphill battles millennials are facing finding career type jobs in the workforce. Um, so, you know, definitely there's no question T-Mobile, um, markets to millennials. Um, this was clearly, uh, both for customers and jobs. Exactly. This is clearly an appeal to, um, how wonderful of a company they are in supporting diversity and whatnot. However, um, you know, it should not go without being challenged that, yeah, change can start now, T-Mobile. We welcome that change. But just remember that last year you canceled, 2017, T-Mobile canceled uh, frontline employees' pay raise. And uh, in the same year gave CEO John Ledger a $6 million bonus. There's nothing fair 
about not giving your employees a cost of living pay raise. They did, um, in full disclosure, you know, because they canceled the pay raise, they gave employees increased stock options in the company. But you can't, um, as far as I'm concerned, you can't pay your rent, you can't pay your mortgage with a stock option. Um, secondly, when you want to talk about uh, diversity, and um, it seemed like they were definitely attempting to, um, to you know, latch on support to the Me Too movement um, with this advertisement, um, T-Mobile... Uh, has actively sought to silence workers that have complained about sexual harassment at its call centers and required them to sign non-disclosure agreements, prohibiting them from sharing their experiences. Uh, this is as recent as 2016, so uh, we maybe want to check ourselves a little bit um, about how wonderful of a company we are in supporting equal rights and diversity when we've got that blemish on our record as of two years ago. See, I think that nothing would say, speak more to your calling right now than unionizing your employees. Right. Because labor unions, by definition, by nature, seek to provide better pay, better benefits, and better job security for all of its covered employees. These are the folks working on the front line that you meet when you walk into a store. Uh, they're paid the least, they work the most, and um, they deserve to have at least the security that they don't have to join the Me Too movement just to work there. Right, and interesting you say that because there's a, a recent study that shows that the, um, the pay gap is much smaller among people that belong to unions in the United States than non-unionized workers. Uh, the pay gap between men and women is much smaller. Actually, unionized women make more than non-unionized men. Um, but granted, there is definitely still a pay gap in the labor movement between men and women, and we got work to do to, to, to get to equal pay. But it is the uh, unquestionably... Um, it is a smaller pay gap than among people that do not belong to a union. I can actually pull yeah. that up. Um, my, my appeal to John Ledger directly, like if he were to listen to this right now, would, would, be, would be this. Would be, you know, flip the script like you always do in every other way. Right. Right? And unionize your employees because there's plenty of them who know enough about it to want it. And the rest are in the dark or misinformed. Right. Because a unionized workforce will always outpace a group of individual employees in a non-bargained workspace. Right. The potential cost that comes with it to administer, to actually pay better benefits, better pay and better and provide better job security could be offset by a wave of new morale that right. had never been previously experienced. And that I think so, in some ways they have great morale from like some of the employees I've talked to right. when I was organizing with you. They're, they're, uh, but it could be by leaps and bounds if a CEO like John Ledger ever took the initiative where other CEOs never have to say, you know what, I see the value that if I step aside, I don't interfere, I provide that open neutrality, right? And 20,000 employees tomorrow can all vote to form a union to self-govern, right? It's self-governing within an entire American experiment of self-governing. 
that the workers themselves can by and large solve their own problems and come to the table with reasonable demands for all of them equally, regardless of uh, gender, race, ethnicity, or anything else. Right. Uh, that they can all do better because they're all working together instead of individually um, in, in a competitive way. Right. Now they're working in a in a mutually beneficial way. Right. So yeah. I have right here the this is from the Bureau of Labor Labor Statistics, nonpartisan, not some like labor think tank statistics. Um, unionized men make weekly on average $1,102 in the United States of America. Unionized women make $970 a week. So that's about $132 less than men. We got to fix that um, pay gap and get equal pay in the labor movement. But like I just said, unionized women make $970 a week. Um, Non-union men make $914 on average a week. And then non-unionized women make seven forty-six a week, almost a two hundred dollar pay gap in the, you know, in the non-unionized workforce of the United States. See, in, in my mind, it's already been fixed, but it's not being enforced. Don't we have the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act? Yes. Already signed into law through through an act of Congress right. and signed off by the president. I don't remember which president, what year. Fairly recent, right? In yeah. the last. How many I think years? it was Obama. It so, was under Obama. So we have on the books that men and women should be paid equally for equal work. Equal pay for right. equal work, right? We have it like as law. But how do we know those numbers and how do we use those numbers to like affect the change that we're seeking? Sure. Because right now you can't even talk about pay in the workplace. Right. It's taboo. Right. Well, it's also a lot of um, employees in, or employers, including T-Mobile, had um, policies in their handbook forbidding right. frontline employees from discussing their pay with other workers. We actually got that. Um, cha- we challenged that in the NLRB and got it ruled illegal and made uh, T-Mobile's forced to change that policy. Um, but really quickly, and I'll, I don't want to just pick on T-Mobile every time on this podcast. But, I think we should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Until they unionize. <laughs> um, but go, just that Super Bowl commercial, last thing I'll say on that, it's a message of diversity. Um, T-Mobile's top 15 executives are all white. They have no people of color among their top 15 executives or board, only two women out of 15. So um, it is pretty funny for a company that is a predominantly white male-led company to um, be trying to market its products based on this message of diversity. We've we got a lot of work to do, T-Mobile. If change starts now, we're ready to have that conversation at T-Mobile Workers United. Let's have it. That's you next got, one close. You got, you, got my, uh, you got my Twitter handle, John Ledger. I know you got it, so holler at your boy. What is your handle? Is it the, the real the union, union CEO? CEO? No, just <laughs> at the union CEO on Twitter. Holler at your boy. We're back. We are back. I think you left off with some facts, some fun facts about T-Mobile. Fun facts. Some might call it fake news. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag uh, uncarrier. Hashtag Team Magenta. Fake hashtag news. Frontline first. Here's here's something about fake news that I'd like to just touch on for a second. Okay. Because sometimes it it will enter the realm of organized labor. You know. Uh, I don't. I don't agree. I don't agree that, that there's any fake news out there. 
I think all news is sensationalized. Mm-hmm. It's over-dramatized in order to fire up whatever base of people are currently subscribing to that channel, right? So uh, I, I believe they're... You're talking about for-profit news, I would imagine. For-profit news, yeah, the, the media corporations. Like, do you think PBS and NPR have a, a motivation to... Um, appeal to a certain audience? I'm not saying yes or no, I'm just asking. Uh, no, I just think that over time, all media outlets, even the big and the small, mm-hmm. have evolved to a, uh, uh, um, a goal of becoming sustainable, you know, in perpetuity. We have to, we want to last forever when we create this thing, right? Right. And the way to do that is to get sponsors. The way to get sponsors is to get viewers or listeners or readers. The way to get them is not necessarily to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, mm-hmm. uh, but to persuade as well. Persuade along with the delivery. Right. Well, so I think the big shift um, in American uh, news outlets was, you know, at least with the um, television news, you know, the, the stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, they ran those uh, news departments at a loss, right? Or at least as non-profit, essentially a service they provided. and Quasi-public or something almost? Right. Like, like, well, it's just the idea was that they weren't, there was no profit incentive to report the news. It was a service they provided. Yeah, yeah. As, and then the shift came, oh, well, we're going to um, make it a profit center. So the more sensationalized it is, the better the ratings, the more TV or the more money you can make off television revenue, ad revenue, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, then, and, and I think where this is going is in a direction that you uh, definitely like to talk about, which is when you enter greed right? and you insert executives who get paid amounts, sums of, of money that were never previously paid before. Yep. And to justify it and to and to and to fund it, they have to do things differently than they than they've done before. Like no longer caring about the general welfare of the public, uh, profits over people. Right. And, and then I think the uh, sorry to interrupt, but okay. the second shift is obviously um, with the you know the rise of social media and Facebook. You don't have to be exposed to other points of view anymore that you can choose to just have your own personal political beliefs reinforced by the news that you ingest right online yeah there's no standards for like when you say every like every it seems like every news outlet has an agenda while that is true um you know there used to be in journalism some sort of like base level of standards of ethics of like reporting facts right that no longer exists you can go on breitbart or huffington Post on one extreme or the other and yeah. just completely makes pull something out of your ass and like and and write it up and make it look slick like a real news story and, yeah and it's I, out there i think that's what we've we're, we're having a, a crisis of identity i think in in, in today's news it's not it's today it's talk shows under the title of news. Mm-hmm. We're really watching a talk show. Somebody is reporting some facts or some story that was handed to them, 
And then they have to uh, fill in with how they feel about it and how viewers, readers, whatever should feel about it. Uh, I feel like, to some extent, I might agree with President Trump. Uh Uh-oh. That, uh, well, he has a distaste for the media. Yeah. It's different for me, but I have a similar, I have a distaste for the media currently. Right. In which they're dividing us as a people more than they're uniting us as a people. Hmm. I, I, we're, we're deeply I divided right now. We're, we're, we, you know. But I mean, who, like, who gets blamed? Consumers, news outlets, social media. I mean, there's some blame to go around. Like yeah. Everybody that wants to be a critical thinker and, um, and really choose to get diverse perspectives to really enrich themselves and form their own opinions based off of uh, having an open mind. You have the ability to do that, right? You can yeah. go, you can read the New York Times and listen to um, conservative radio and listen to NPR. And, um, you know, I'm trying these days to like watch Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC all at the same time. Yeah. Because I'm getting the same story, right. but I'm getting very different perspectives of each one. And I'm trying to keep that open mind. Where I where I really struggle is when, and I'll say this starts at the top and rolls downhill, the divisiveness that exists between my own family and friends, people that should not have any hostility toward each other over anything, yet they do over like government and politics because they they receive input from whatever they watch, read, right? And then they echo it. Yeah. And and they and they actually do it with greater they add to it, right? They, they more intensity or more colorful language or whatever. So it starts with like our 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 leadership, our administration currently and it's 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 it started with administrations prior with mudslinging Tech tactics and things, but we divide it into an us versus them. Right. And it starts with our administration. It goes to our media. Our media uh, has a really bad habit right now of having a bias and then screw everybody else. Yeah. Like they will, they will, they will just piss off everybody else. That's not their bias. Right. But and both sides will do it to each other because the, they're defending themselves essentially from from the onslaught, from the attack that's coming at them. Right. At the same time as they're dishing it out, and so there's there's got to be probably like a mutual, like if, like in a perfect world, you know, if I could if I could flip a switch, and like everybody would cut the shit at the same time. Right. Stop right. stop demonizing each other because we're all just people. You know, we're all one world, not just this country, that country, or whatever. And we would start leading with kindness, you know, like, like I, I understand you have a different point of view than me. I understand that you have a different worldview than me. Um, but I'm going to give you the respect of not, you know, degrading, you know, going high when they go low. Right. Why don't we both go high? Why is someone going low? Well, so that's why I would caution against, like, I understand you're saying you're frustrated with the media. So you get how president Trump is frustrated with the media but I think it's like comparing apples and oranges, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he he is like he is calling everything that um, doesn't suit his interest, doesn't make him look like the greatest president of all time as fake news, right? Yeah. Whereas like perhaps 
outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post have a slight, um, you know, a slight, uh, you know, bias to the left. Yeah. But for the most part, they're trying to do real journalism, real yep. reporting. And he is he's using yeah. his power to try to um, discredit that. And if he succeeds, then that's an assault on our democracy. No, and he, he's, he's more of like a narcissist, and that's just what narcissists do. Mm-hmm. They attack anything that is contrary to their beliefs. Right. Um, and that, you know, that's fine. Like, it's, it's good to know what you're dealing with, right? So, like, um, uh, when, when it comes to the media and the divide between the different outlets that have a bias and they demonstrate it more strongly than others, like you were saying, like, just now, uh, New York Times uh, doesn't really skew one way or the other so much in its opinions but it like leans left right now because it's calling some of the shit out that we're seeing uh, mm-hmm. uh, in our government today, right? So, uh, so t- to the right, that's fake news, that's false reporting, that's alternative facts or whatever, right? Um, yeah, I just, I really like, I, I've been on a low information diet lately yeah. because I, um, I, I'm, I'm I, you know, like I don't need to read what the left is saying about the right and what the right is saying about the left. Right. They're both equally involved, invested, right. and, and at war with each other, right? Right. Well, so, I, I think a good like, kind of way to sum this up and the frustration that I think a lot of people feel is like, uh, you know, I, I've been watching CNN more since the, uh, since the 2016 primary election when I felt I used to watch MSNBC and guilty as anybody else, I want to watch news that reinforces my <laughs> beliefs, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I got really frustrated with them because I thought they had a bias towards the Hillary campaign over the Bernie campaign. So I stopped watching. Well, long story short though, I'm watching CNN a lot now and like, you know, they have this whole ad campaign about when we see an apple, we're going to call it an apple. When we see a banana, we're, you can't call an apple a banana, blah, 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 which yeah, is great. Point. Awesome. Uh, awesome way. We're going to like, you know, we're going to make sure that we're, um, keeping some truth in the conversation, but then they'll bring on these Trumpian like analysts that'll just like spit utter nonsense, and it's like, well, if you if you want to be serious about calling an apple an apple and not calling an apple and a banana, maybe you have a higher level of screening. Not to say you can't have Trump supporters on your on your broadcast, but bring people on that are going to be serious about truth and facts. Don't let them come on and 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 speak. President Trump's agenda and go like just for the purpose of having sensational television that generates more profits and more ad revenue. So it's just like even it's almost back to that T-Mobile commercial, you know, you're saying one thing and doing another for corporate profits. It's it's, uh, very infuriating. Well, that's fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Uh, and, and, you know, this is going back to the first podcast. I think we said all along that we would enter government and politics into this conversation in, yeah. in each episode because it impacts labor, organized labor, working families. Right. Organized labor wants to do what's best for working families. Uh, last time we were talking, I think about how organized labor skews left right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not as much rank as we file as we think. Right. Like rank, maybe it's like half of rank and file membership are just as conservative 
as what we think everybody is. Almost half of union house or you know union households. I don't know. I guess people in union households, almost half of them voted for Trump over Clinton. Yeah. So I think in anything we do in organized labor going forward, we can't appeal to one side of things at the expense of the other. Mm-hmm. We've got to have like point and counterpoint, and it has to be kind and respectful. And I even like will volunteer uh, between the two of us. Like if there's something we need to explore more from the conservative side of things, you know, I wouldn't mind like researching and, and, and reporting from that perspective and things. <laughs> Live from Fox News Studios. Yeah, that's all I have to do is watch Fox <laughs> News. I mean, I, I'd have it easy if I represent the conservative viewpoint in all things. But uh, uh, there's there's a gal out of Phoenix right now who's uh, still with the company, still with the union, taking on more and more responsibility in the organized labor uh, piece. And uh, she is a, a staunch conservative, yeah. uh, from what I see on like her, you know, posts and, and, and social media and stuff. Sure. And so I'm I'm thankful because I felt like there was uh, uh, no balance in our in our in our union right. and in our movement for organized labor. So organized labor, I always say, just should have no party. Should know no party, right? Well, a good a good conservative or a good liberal doesn't matter if they're good for workers in general by whatever their their policies and positions and things may be. Right. Um, well, I mean, to, and to be clear, the reason that the two um, campaigns that resonated the most with working families in twenty sixteen was were both populist um, campaigns, not. We can argue over uh, how seriously they. Um, one of them was actually about populism versus exploiting fears and uh, anxieties of, of you know working class people. But you know the Trump campaign and the Bernie campaign; um, those were the ones that had the energy and the enthusiasm behind them because both parties, yeah. establishment, the establishment in both parties have failed working people. Let's be clear about that. It, it, I tend to think that the Democrats are more supportive of a working class agenda more often than Republicans have been. Um, and I think that, you know, I still say to this day, Hillary Clinton would have been better for working people than President Trump has been. That's why I voted for her, even though um, I was a staunch Bernie supporter during the primary. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you only have to go as far as the NLRB to understand that Trump is a disaster for working people in our agenda. Um, but, I mean, he resonated with a lot of working families, and they voted for him. And, I mean, based on the track record of corporatist Democrats like the Clintons, I you know can can how much can you blame them for making that choice? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think I have to agree with you uh, on your point that uh, Trump and Bernie's campaigns resonated the loudest, right? Right. And Trump got what Bernie supporters were looking for, which was somebody who was non-establishment, right? Kind of an outlier. And I think maybe Bernie's biggest mistake was that he uh, crossed over, he conformed. He was a staunch independent in Congress out of Vermont and then filed a registered Democrat when he threw his hat in the ring to run. And it's I, I get it. Like, no independent candidate has ever won before. But I think if there's ever a time where an independent candidate can and should, yeah. it would be now where we're so deeply divided right. between our two major parties 
that a, a non-interested third-party person candidate, like a Bernie next time, but as an independent, if he runs for 2020, my my feeling is he should run as an independent, and he probably won't get Republican support, but he can still get Democratic support as an independent candidate. He just can't be the party's nominee. We'll see. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen for 2020. We got to win, uh, or we got to... Mm. Um, you know, we got to win 2018. Sure. Midterms. Yep. Have you seen the glam up the midterms campaign at all? No. It's a lot of Hollywood celebrities, oh, late geez. night talk show hosts. Oh, God. They're starting to like hashtag it now and, uh-huh. and build the movement now for millennials to get out the vote yeah. in the 2018 midterm elections. And they said, this is uh, Billy Eichner, Eichner, Billy on the street or Eichner on the street or whatever, uh, goes on Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers. And he says, look, in the last midterm election, 2014, only 12% of millennials voted, 88% of millennials abstained. Wow. So, you know, and he was very, he's a lefty, right? Yeah. So by himself, Billy Eichner is absolutely a Democrat, uh, outspoken. But he says, look, in 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 the context of this campaign, we don't care. Just get out and vote. Register and vote. And so they're going to be going city to city. In some of the hotbed, you know, elections, the, the hotly contested elections and things. Uh, and uh, they're going to be supporting and advocating. And I don't know, maybe this midterm, because there's been so much, uh, all, all the hullabaloo in politics and government. Yeah. Maybe this will be a successful midterms, at least as far as turnout is considered. Oh, it's got to be. I mean, like, you know. More people will come out and vote. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, going back to what I was saying earlier... From an economic populist standpoint, when you know the Clintons' track record, you know the history of NAFTA, you know the um, that she was likely once uh, in office going to um, go back to supporting the TPP. I understand the the um, the um, I guess the desire of working class folks to to look elsewhere. The one thing that I couldn't get past with Trump is the moral shortcomings. Once that Access Hollywood tape was released, I don't understand how any parent in the United States, to, no matter what your political beliefs are, could say, I want that person to be a role model for my children. But that's a whole other issue altogether. On the economic populism side, I get it. But now we've had a year to evaluate what he said and what he's done, and he is absolutely done keeping his promises that's what he's that's what he's done oh the opposite of that oh, oh. the opposite <laughs> he's done absolutely uh, nothing for working sorry, i watch fox news and oh. they say we're you know right. keeping our promises right. trump 2020 trump pence 2020 the, the tax cut is a big giveaway to rich people and corporations i don't see a wall yet that's all i'm saying you know like if, if keeping our promises was well i thought mexico was supposed to pay for the wall and that obviously now the american taxpayers yeah to pay for yeah. it yeah that's um, i think trump is 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 more of an entertainer than a president yeah i think in cities like cities where we live here in aurora for example we have a weak council strong manager mm-hmm. it's a form of government at the local level right which i never knew until i started learning about it you can have a weak mayor, weak council who are salaried but like part-time. And then you can have a manager who's full-time, a city manager. And that's what I kind of feel like is happening now. We have a weak president, strong Congress. Yeah. Strong in terms of it's the, 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 the bigger decision-making, the bigger driving force between, behind government and politics currently. 
Trump is a, a puppet right. know, master, well, right? I mean, he's like, you know, just there to entertain and put TV you whether know, 24-7. It's, well, whether it's evil genius or whether it's um, just a completely a byproduct of his personality, like... The thing about Trump is it's it's a circus. Every day there's a new soundbite, there's a new headline, there's a new look over here, and ignore what's going on behind the scenes. Well, forget well, about they, what happened yesterday that I really could be in trouble for. Right. But Let's I, do this thing today. But I mean, beyond that, they're currently trying to dismantle the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They've got an anti-worker person dismantling all the improvements that were made during the Obama administration and the National Labor Relations Board. You know, the... Uh, um, you know, these tax cuts actually have incentives for for big companies. While they pretend to say they're giving workers bonuses, and maybe they are, they're also eliminating jobs and outsourcing. And all of this stuff is going on behind the scenes. There is absolutely no doubt that if you are a working class person that's trying to support your family, save for college, you know, pay a mortgage, have affordable health care, Donald Trump... And the um, Republicans that have um, have decided to fall in line behind him are not your friends. There's no working class agenda in this administration. And in 2018, we need to elect Democrats to um, mitigate the damage they can continue to do for another two years. I'm going to mostly agree, but say that in 2018, we need to elect candidates, not necessarily right. Democrats. If there's a, a, a good, solid, like working class Republican... For any office, local, state, federal. Oh, my God. I'll vote for it. I'm good with that. I mean, I'm not even affiliated with a party anymore. I've been Democrat. I've been Republican. Right. I'm independent or just unaffiliated now. So, I, 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 you know, that's my luxury. That's I'm, my... I'm good with that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more on the congressional level. Like, you know, obviously we have... Um, we have a um, gov- system of government set up for um, different branches to share power, right? They already stole Obama's Supreme Court justice... Um, which I don't even want to get into. I still think <laughs> that's a fight that Democrats should have never laid down on. Um, but, you know, in order to contain Trump and, you know, his agenda, his assault on working people, we need we need Democratic majorities in, in Congress to keep him in check. That's just a form of reality. I mean, it wasn't a big endorsement on on the Democratic Party leading the charge of progressive working class values in this country it was just more of a pragmatic we need to keep donald trump in check we need to take over congress you know so you mentioned a couple times if we're okay to get away from government and politics for a minute let's go we'll probably get back to it let's Uh, do it how okay we were talking last last episode and to to bring it back into the conversation this episode how do we keep labor unions growing? As you mentioned just a few moments ago, we had an uptick last year. Mm-hmm. But overall, since like the mid-50s when we were one out of every three American workers, we're now down to like one out of every ten. Right. So how do we keep the football moving forward on organized labor, you know, such as we believe that it's a, that it's a, a worthy cause to promote and to pursue? How do we get more – how do we get back to one out of every three people? Well, I mean, it. Um, you know, there's a couple things I'd say. You know, number one, um, you know, the the building of the labor movement to be uh, close to one out of three was a reaction to like 
severely, like, um, you know, like, dangerous working conditions, severe exploitation, you know, the formation of the National Labor Relations Board, the passing of the NLRB, uh, or the National Labor Relations Act. Um, the all Wagner this was Act, in, 1935. All of this was in response to, like, um, people not being fed up and being pushed so far they couldn't take it anymore and fighting back. I mean, that was uh, in the wake of the Great Depression, right? Right. 1929, Black Monday, Great Depression. By 1935, you've got the National Labor Relations Act. You've got the New Deal. Uh, so it was extremely relevant at the time that workers should organize right? because they were either they were not pushed. working in large numbers or they were being paid poverty wages or child labor, like child extreme, labor. like instances of death on the job because of lack of safety standards Yeah, I mean, all these things pushing people. Um, so then we establish the act. We build a solid labor movement. We get a lot of fair contracts that not only elevate union households pay, um, you know, but they elevate all workers' pay because it pulls a rising tide lifts all boats. It pulls the rising out, tide um, to be competitive with union uh, unionized workforces. Non union workforces also had to raise wages. Um, so, if you think you're just as an aside, if you think you're fairly paid and you're in a non union um, job and you uh, think you get great compensation, um, you know you still need to on some level, thank the the labor movement in the United States for um, for pulling your wages up, um, whether you're in a union or not. I um, I wonder if the model that is labor unions could be applied to non-union groups of workers. For example, um, Lyft and Uber drivers. There's like five thousand of them in Denver alone. Yep. Okay. You can't organize with them because they're independent contractors. They're not employees of Lyft and Uber. Aha, so they don't follow under the NLRB. They're not covered by the NLRA. Right. But can they still have freedom of assembly? Can they still organize? Can they still pay dues into a central pot that is spent on their well-being? I think this is like a um, central question, you know going through the labor movement right now is like um, what is the future of organizing going to look like? We're about the Supreme Court with Trump's um, Gorsuch um, sitting on that uh, court. Trump's nominee Gorsuch has been confirmed. Um, he, he replaced Scalia. So there's um, there was a law that, or there was a um, there was a, a case that was about to be decided before Scalia died called Friedrichs. Um, which was basically going to make all public employees in the United States right to work um, and uh, essentially mean that, uh, you know, there would be no more fair share um, throughout the country for public employees. Fair share means that if you benefit from a union contract, whether you want to be a dues-paying member or not, you pay a fee to service the contract to um, pay your fair share of all the benefits you get by working under that union contract. Um, the right in this country and corporate America is trying to be uh, finding ways to, um, to make more and more states right to work, to more and more of the workforce right to work because it makes um, there be less resources, obviously, for labor unions, which means we have less resources to hold them accountable and fight 
um, for fair wages, decent health care, etc. Um, so now that Gorchich is on the Supreme Court, there's a new case making its way through um, that is expected to be ruled on in June. Um, this is called Janus, um, uh, the Janus case. And uh, we're almost certain that we're going, as a movement, going to lose millions upon millions of dollars in resources immediately once this decision is confirmed by a 5-4 decision at the Supreme Court. Maybe there's a 5% chance, maybe a 2% chance that uh, John Roberts or w one of these other people might rule the other way, but it's very, very, very unlikely. This is almost certainly going to happen. It's going to be another crippling blow to the labor movement. Um, so back to your question, um, do we need new models? Um, there's a, there, um, Trump's administration is making it harder to organize under the NLRB. More and more workers are in this new gig economy, service economy, right, where you're independent contractors. All of the liability is on you personally, not on the company you work for. You're just employed by them through some app on your cell phone or, or whatnot. Um, so um, to answer your question, I say yes, we need new... Um, we need new models for organizing. We need to be building movements. Uh, one thing I'm proud of in the wireless industry is we've launched Wireless Workers United, which is an industry-wide organizing campaign. To say that AT&T unionized employees are invested in uh, are invested in uh, in Verizon and T-Mobile being brought to the bargaining table. AT&T is going to get better contracts when they're not bargaining against an unorganized workforce, right, at T-Mobile and Sprint and uh, Verizon. So um, so it's in their interest, and it's obviously in the interest of the, the employees of the other companies to band together and, and leverage all of us against these three or four giant corporations that its only interest is in maximizing profits. And when it's... You know, I like to say uh, the United States is a democracy and all a union is is a democratized workplace. Do you want to work in a dictatorship where your boss, whose, whose objective is to maximize profits, which means in the pursuit of maximizing profits, keeping your pay and benefits low, is in his best interest? Do you want to work in an environment where he has all the say or do you want to work in a democracy where frontline staff has a voice and gets to, like be at the table and have a say in determining what these pay and benefits are going to be. So twice right there, you said democracy. Right. I've been struggling lately with even that word. We don't live in a democracy. We never lived in a democracy. We live in a democratic republic. And that got explained to me uh, at a point in time in the past, you know, to help me understand what that is, why we have the Congress and the Senate. Uh, and I don't even think we live in a Democratic Republic anymore. I think we now live in a corporate oligarchy where yeah, most of absolutely. our, you know, so we, so so we should call it for what it is. Let's call America as it currently exists a corporate oligarchy. Yep. That's why a democratic working class of like self-organizing, self-governing, right, doesn't work in the current model for the corporate oligarchs because it's not their model. Right. Their model is they'll control everything and tell us what to say, do, think, right. feel, and be. 
But and the, it goes directly against our entire existence in America of, of uh, uh, rugged inalienable rights, you know, life, liberty, <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness. Right. You get to be and do whatever you want. Right. And we're like, we have it, and it's intentional in our education system. We were like going back to fake news, and like, I think the reason why um, every news source is allowed to have an agenda is the assault on critical thinking in our education system. There's also an assault in our education system. It's purposeful against understanding collective action. Um, we are like we have it hammered in our head. It rugged individualism. You if you work hard individually, and uh, and you um, you know work hard and do the right things, you're gonna get ahead in America. And in some cases that's true. There's also the reverse of that. That if you're extremely successful, if you're a millionaire CEO you must be smarter and must have worked harder than everybody else to get to where you are in some cases that's true in some cases we have completely incompetent morons that somehow force gump their way into these positions of making millions of dollars that don't work one-tenth as hard as the frontline employee they're paying one seven hundredth of what they make so, um, so the assault on education has made it where, um, you know, it's, it's extremely hard to organize in a, like you said, a corporate oligarchy. But the one thing we have that um, they can never take away from us is we have power in numbers. Yeah. When we do band together, when we do use collective action, we, whether we have a recognized legal union that went through an NLRB process or whether we just decided as a group of workers we can't take it anymore and we're going to join together and speak out against our company, we can win. We do win when we organize. And so I think going back to Uber and Lyft, um, you know, we don't need an NLRB um, to tell us that that you are independent contractors, therefore you are not subject to these election rules. Uh, we can organize people, and when people organize against Uber and Lyft, and enough of them do it and say, we want, we want a fair shake from these rideshare companies, and we will, we will make them start to negotiate with us, to bargain yeah. with. Here, here's my conclusion on things like Lyft and Uber drivers. How many members are there in CWA right now? Uh, like, like throughout the international union, yeah. I think roughly seven hundred thousand. There's that many drivers right now for Lyft and Uber. Yeah. How would CWA like to double its size right. with just one new unit? Well, I, but I, it's a unit that's not covered by NLR, NLRA or NLRB. So there's no election. There's just an organizing campaign with Lyft and Uber drivers that says, "Hey." Join our, you know, Association of Lyft and Uber Drivers, the LUDA, the LUDA, whatever, right? Yep. Uh, everyone's going to pay in, I'm just going to arbitrarily make some stuff up here for a second and say 20 bucks a month. Everyone's going to be on a bank draft for 20 bucks a month. It's all going into this central kitty. And uh, what do you want out of it? That's for you to tell us, right? Like you get to decide and you get to form your own system of self-governance and within your association, Right. But it's but it's it's guided by CWA over the past you know ninety years of its existence in various campaigns for covered entities and, and right. covered employee work groups and things. So well, there like I, one thing I appreciate appreciate about CWA is that we give our local structures a lot of autonomy to 
to make their own decisions. Yeah. Uh, it's not a top-down union. It's a grassroots, democratic, um, you know, bottom-up union. Um, but one thing I will say, just back to your point on Uber and Lyft and this idea of, like, collective power, um, I mean, think about it, like, what what is a Netflix subscription? Like, $12, $13 a month, something yeah. like that. Pretty much every American, not every American, but, you know, a good majority of Americans pay a Netflix subscription. And look at what that company is able to do with that. Dave Chappelle, make some specials for us. Here's $60 million. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, hey, Will Smith, come do a movie for us. They they throw up new content on Netflix on a daily basis now. Yeah, when they crossed over into original content, at first I was uh, skeptical. But because they have so much money... They can get the best talent, right? Uh, not just in, in front of the camera, but behind it as well with the writing and producing. It's, and Exactly. And all of that is funded off of where regular people yeah, pay $13 a month. <laughs> so my question is, and if I said this on the first podcast, I apologize. Imagine what working people could do in this country if we had every working family paying 10 15 20 30 dollars a month into a movement to fight for fair pay fair uh, affordable health care universal health care you know like basic safety standards on the job if everybody and this is not a like oh uh you know the the, the right or the anti-worker agenda in this com- com- country will try to make you say that your union dues are being used to make a couple of fat cats really rich to make people like Ted, these paid social justice warriors, be able to go out and protest for a living. But the reality is it gives it gives a working class voice that economic resource to actually, like, to get a fair shake in this economy. I mean, there is no arguing the, the trends. Like, wealth and income inequality are getting worse year after year. And it's not even in the like one percent self interest to continue on these trends because we history does not bode well for that. Eventually, they're all going to be living in these gated communities with all their wealth, and the rest of us are going to have nothing. And when that happens, we're going to scale those fences and take that wealth away from them. That's called the revolution. It will eventually happen if we don't fix wealth and income inequality. It's not in your self-interest, rich people out there, to continue being this greedy. Give a little back. Give voluntary recognition to your workers to form a union, to bargain collectively. Um, John Ledger. And we're all (laughs) going to be a lot better off. But yeah, think about that. Think about if working people had the ability... To, instead of hiring Will Smith to do a movie to like make sure we had a $15, $20 minimum wage, make sure we had universal health care coverage, make sure that um, we had uh, we had like universal daycare coverage. I mean, I know like for a lot of working families, when you're on a, a strict schedule of 40 hours a week or sh- strict shifts on your job, and you have no other choice but trying to find childcare. That's a twenty, thirty, potentially forty thousand dollar a year expense. How do you pay for that when you're making fifty? Or you know, you can't you can't work just to pay for your kid to be in childcare and then have nothing left, right? Like we need universal, affordable, or provided childcare so that people can have a family and and make a living at the same time. We can fight for this stuff. 
if everybody jumps on board and joins this labor movement. And we, like you said, we need ways to do that through recognized traditional channels and through non-traditional, like, new, like, 21st century era of social media, let's get it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how organized labor is going to grow and not shrink, as the timeline suggests it will, from the 50s till now. Uh, I, I think I think organized labor is going to be relevant as long as people are working for money. I think, um, you know, like the day is coming where like five million jobs <coughs> will be lost to automation that currently right. exists today. And it's not far away. It's like 2020 when that's going to happen by. And uh, they, there is rhetoric around, you know, maybe one day it's machines that are doing all the work right. and people are, you know, uh, receiving universal basic incomes off of the taxes that are collected from the machines production. Right. Uh, well, going I'm, back to Uber and Lyft, 700,000 drivers are going to be displaced in what, five, maybe 10 years with yeah, driverless I mean, cars? Who hasn't seen a story <coughs> right now about the testing of autonomous vehicles in different markets like in California? Uh, it's like Tesla already uh, uh, demonstrated its first um, driverless semi. Did you see um, that uh, that they put Elon Musk and SpaceX just put a, a, a Tesla in <laughs> orbiting orbiting yeah. in space? That was yeah. I, I'm excited for that future on the one hand because when you when you automate driving and nobody drives anymore. You can for pleasure, but but for 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 commuting for commuting purposes, it eliminates. Yeah, so there's no more rush jam, hour. Right. Rush hour becomes a thing of the past because all cars are networked to each other in order to uh, uh, navigate more smoothly than than people who currently drive and don't know what each other is about to do, and we get bottlenecks and rush hour traffic jams. Uh, in, accidents and deaths will be a thing of the past it, it, with motor vehicles. Sure. When the car is doing the driving and it's networked to all the other cars on the road, uh, there's no least, longer driving distracted. Uh, there's no longer driving under the influence. It's going to cut down traffic-related de- deaths by like 90, 95%. Yeah, Computers like 99.9%. There will right. be those single incidents of like some kind of computer malfunction. Right. Or like in some weird ways, like maybe some kind of hacking or whatever. Well, that's the bigger fear. Yeah. Like those systems can be hacked. Right. Or when, we'll, we'll talk about this on a future podcast, or when the singularity happens and the machines become self-aware and decide they don't need humans it's anymore. judgment day right there. <laughs> um but I do believe that unions will continue to be irrelevant, even as small as they are today compared to their past. I do believe that unions have a future to play in society, in America, uh, uh, because in our history of our culture, we've had a strong spirit of associationism. People join things in the United States. Especially they, they enjoy the belonging somewhere. Yeah. And at work, you're often currently left to feel like very much alone and in a corner right uh, and it's us against it's me against you know my company when when there's right. something wrong and everything like potentially joining a union is an individual risk because you're individually worried about retaliation yeah but right? i think what's going to insulate cwa and other labor unions and organized labor as a thing is going to be branching out from traditional organizing with tradition with with traditional uh, bargain roles that are covered under NLRA into the non-traditional stuff where it's people who don't have any rights under the National Labor Relations Act and are, aren't protected with it by the board, right. uh, but they still want to associate with each other for everyone's mutual benefit. Uh, my other example besides Lyft and Uber drivers was um, 
retail managers. So we saw it in wireless. I dealt a lot with uh, managers in wireless. They don't have any bargaining rights. They don't have any collective bargaining coverage under National Labor Relations Act. Um, but they are uh, really on par with the retail sales consultants that we represent. I, they heard... work in the store. They work the same hours and days and nights and weekends. They work through holidays. They're on their feet all day every day, just like the retail workers. Sure. Um, and I've... a lot of them have... have you know, voiced an opinion in which if they could, they would love to sign up with something like this as well. I've heard uh, um, on numerous occasions, like top sales folks say, I don't want to be a a store manager. I make more money on commissions. Yeah. In a bargain environment where we're negotiating our contract, that's absolutely true in a lot of cases. The the, the managers are the lowest level non-bargained employees in a company. Right. And I think another way that labor, organized labor can grow in the future and, and turn that trend line upside down and go back up is if they can start to um, spread. Like, so you have a retail environment, a store where you represent the frontline workers, but you don't represent the managers in that store. And they have a lot of the same challenges and problems with the company that the retail workers do. You can't organize with the managers under NLRA, right. but you can organize with them by forming a free association of well, people who can exercise a First Amendment right to assemble. It's interesting you say that because I come out of a, a public sector, um, CWA local in Texas, Texas State Employees Union, where we're not obviously as public, we weren't under the NLRA, um, and we had uh, a guaranteed right in the Texas State um uh, law to um, you know to have the ability to join a union so long story short we could do wall-to-wall organizing S- supervisors could join our union uh, regional directors of agencies could join our union in fact legislators could join our union even governors can join our union so legislators uh, have joined cwa yeah. in other locals yeah in our well in our local um governor ann richards was the last governor to join tsu but um, yeah. she was a deuce bank member of tsu many many state legislators are part of tsu um and there is like it's a different model when you um there are no those like hard lines between management and uh and uh, Frontline, where like a, a program director for Health and Human Services can be a union member advocating for um, increased funding um, for the agency for the, um, to solve staffing issues by paying better wages. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting different model. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely where we don't have the um, hard and fast formal rules about organizing. That's, that's a way we can... Um, can uh, we can make inroads in the labor movement because at the end of the day, the separation isn't between a store manager and a frontline retail sales consultant. The separation is between the CEO of the company and the board and these people that are making astronomical amounts of money and everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if everybody else was getting a fair share, I wouldn't care. Right. But the fact that they're making that much money at the expense of everyone else getting paid, you know, uh, poverty wages because they can't afford the cost of living as it is today on their current income as it is today. Uh, You know, I'm optimistic toward the future uh, because there's people like you working on it. 
people like you. We got a lot. <laughs> we're gonna do a lot of big things, Jason. Yeah. Some of them under undercover behind the scenes, but we got we got big things. Ta-da. Union Underground. I, I forgot to mention at the top. This podcast is being brought to you on the Union Underground imprint. So follow Union Underground. It's um, one U Underground on Twitter. It's Facebook.com slash one U Underground. And we are not on Graham Instant yet, but maybe someday. Um, so you want to wrap up? We're we're going a little long on our pod now. You want to wrap up with some quick fire? I back figured and forth. this was like stoppage time. Yeah, yeah. Let's do a couple. Uh, we'll do a couple quick, fun survey questions, back and forth, quick hitters, and then we'll call it a wrap on episode two: the attack of the clones. Uh, let's see, quick hitters. Uh, I've got like twenty of them right here. You got twenty ready? Let's do so it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this back around toward you. All right. Uh, would you rather take a one week trip to the foreign country of your choice, or take a four week trip around your own country? Um, a one-week trip to the foreign country of your choice or four weeks? I'm going to say a one-week trip to a foreign country because I travel. I have the, the extreme oh, privilege yeah. to travel a lot of the United States for my job. Already, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, would you rather play on a baseball team that always wins but always has to play in the rain? Or would you rather play on a baseball team that always plays in sunny weather but also always loses? Oh, dude, you got to play to win. I'll so you'd rather play to win in the rain than yeah. lose in the sun. Uh, would you rather be the best player on a team that always loses or the worst player on a team that always wins? Worst player on a team that always wins. Yeah, that's a common question, isn't it? Would you rather be banned from all computer use for a year or would you rather not be allowed to eat any desserts or sweets for a year? Oh, desserts and sweets. I almost do that already. Yeah. You're on a low-sugar, <laughs> low-carb diet. Would you rather be able to control the weather or talk to animals? Oh, I think I'd rather talk to animals. I do. Well, I do talk to my cats. What up, Jose? Yeah, Jose the, is sitting in here chilling in the studio. The weather's not that bad. You can usually <laughs> just wait it out, right? But talking to animals would be pretty cool. Would you rather live in Narnia or attend school at Hogwarts? Narnia, baby. I'm old school. I'd probably go Hogwarts on that one myself. But uh, all right. Would you rather be given $1,000 right now or... Would you rather be given $50 a month for the rest of your oh, life? Oh, dude, $50 a month for the rest of my life. In 20 months, you've got the 1000 and then you get $50 in perpetuity thereafter, right? Oh, yeah. You, what sure. could you even invest $1,000 in right now that would do that? Uh, nothing. There's nothing. Hmm. I could invest in Union Underground t-shirts. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, number eight. I'm going to stop at 10, and you can do 11 to 20 on me if you want. All right, let's you do, do it. that? Okay. That sounds good. And then that's it. We're done. Yeah, then we're done. It's a wrap. Then it's a wrap. Uh, would you rather be a famous actor or discover the cure for cancer? Uh, I'd rather discover the cure for cancer. Me too. All right. Would you rather be incredibly wealthy but never fall in love or get married or would you rather have a happy marriage but be poor? Oh, happy marriage and, and poor. Huh? I, I am blessed to have a happy marriage. Yeah. I'm not poor. So, but yeah, not nah, being rich and being alone. No, thanks. Yeah. I am pee poor right now. I don't have a pot to pee in, they say. Uh, but I have a happy marriage, so I already am the happy marriage. But, but poor. Poor by my own standards of like, I don't have any money for anything right now. I really don't. No savings, no nothing, right? But I'm aiming to become incredibly wealthy and still have the happy marriage. There you go. Best of both worlds. For Lastly sure. for you, sir, uh, would you rather have many friends but no close friends or... 
Would you rather just have one or two close friends? Oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, I'd say one or two. Many friends, but none close. Yeah, I'd say one or two close friends is better, man. Yeah, gotta be. yeah. Over time, I think I feel the same way. Like, Plus, like, I'm, I mean, I don't know. We're I'm 39, you're 40. I'm in a stage of my life, like, I just... When uh, I got too many people hitting me up to do, like, social stuff, it's just like... It's, a lot of times, I just want to chill at home, watch, like I said, watch basketball. Yeah, that, that, I, I feel the same. The older I get... The farther and farther I'm trying to get away from everybody else yeah. rather than to where everybody is. Yeah. I don't even want to like go to concerts anymore because oh, quite frankly, they're like super expensive compared to the ones I used to go to. Yeah. And uh, the, the idea of those kind of crowds where you're just packed in um, is I not appealing anymore. I still like concerts because I'm a music junkie. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a lot of performing in the last few years, uh, but I'll happily get out of the house to go rock a mic at a <laughs> club. But I have no other reason to be in a club. I can't stand crowds. I don't want to be around. Like, I'll go to a, a music concert because I love music, but... I yeah, don't. you should start going to some open mic nights and uh, spitting rhymes yourself. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's the, the, the back to the not having any time thing. That's why <laughs> I'm a studio gangster these days. Got, <laughs> yeah. Got new songs on the horizon, so I'll definitely plug them on the pod. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe an album this year. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Here we go, Jason. You got 11 through, 11 through 20, then we're calling it a day. All right. Would you rather have bright blue teeth or have bright blue hair? Uh, I'm going to go bright blue hair because right now I have none. <laughs> so any hair. Yeah, it'd be kind of weird. Any to have, color. I think blue teeth would be weird. I'd have it's a little be- Hunger Games, like District 1. Oh, District 1, yes. New York. (laughs) Would you rather uh, lose one arm or lose one leg? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think I could do better without the arm than the leg. Yeah? Hmm. I don't know. Man, that's a hard one. I think think I'd have to go lose a leg because then I could still play wheelchair basketball. I don't know. I have to think about that one. That one's tough. All right, would you rather be able to fly or be able to turn invisible? Fly. Definitely fly. I want to be able to travel the whole world. For sure. And to be able to fly would be able to do that without restriction. Although it would be pretty funny to, like, spy on President Trump when the camera's on him. (laughs) (laughs) All right, would you rather get to take a shower every day, but you have to take a cold shower... Or only get to shower once a week, but you get to take a hot shower. I'll do the cold shower every day. For it sure. would suck, but I need to shower every day. Yeah, you can't be showering once a week. If I miss a, a shower, like, over a weekend, I feel so grody, like, by the end of the weekend. Oh, dude, full disclosure, if you uh, if you got into where you had to only shower once a week, the podcast is done. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> two, two episodes and done. <laughs> All right, uh, would you rather not be allowed to eat your five favorite foods for an entire year or be allowed to eat only your five favorite foods for an entire year? Okay, honestly, I probably only eat my five favorite foods right now. Yeah. And I think giving them up for a year would probably be a very healthy thing for me. So I'm going to go with A. Okay. Um, So for me, the question would hinge on whether there's any, like you know, like, uh, dietary, like, 
if are we talking in reality? So if I only eat my five favorite foods, then uh, you know I'm living a very unhealthy lifestyle, or am I getting to eat them without repercussion? I see. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, right now I don't usually eat my five favorite foods very often because I'm trying to eat a healthy diet. But you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. So I would say if. There was no impact on health, then yeah. I would only eat my five favorite foods for, sure. for a year straight. I can do that. But because there's an impact on health, then I go to without the five favorite foods because I don't know if people's favorite foods are ever really good ones. Right. You know, your favorite foods are usually the worst ones for you, the ones that are like an indulgence. Yeah. If your favorite foods are cauliflower and broccoli, that's kind of weird. You're, you're fake news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> Would you rather have a very strict teacher but learn a lot or have a really nice teacher but not learn shit? Oh, wow. I had great teachers and I didn't learn shit still. <laughs> uh, I'll go with the strict teacher, but yeah. I learn a lot. Gotta have it, man. Knowledge yeah. is power, baby. Yeah. All right. Would you rather have a friend that's really fun to be with but not very nice or have a friend who is kind of boring but also very kind. Oh, yeah. Kindness w- uh, wins the day for me always. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know. I, I have friends in the past who weren't kind to, yeah. to waiters and waitresses and service and folks, and it, and it made me crazy. So, I got that. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm with you there. I mean, fun people are uh, are awesome. Probably would have chosen maybe differently in my younger days, but I'm in a once again, in a place of my life where fun uh, is measured differently than it was in the past. Uh, yeah, and and, and and you know, besides that, I'm kind of boring. So what you know, like, right. what am I? What are my, what are my expectations right. in a friend that like you know I, I should lead by example? I heard in that song lyric, you know, if you're bored, then you're boring. And I when disagree. I, I disagree that you're boring. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely. When I thought about doing another podcast, the reason I wanted to do it with you is specifically because you are not boring. Great <laughs> conversationalist, Jason. But I get what you're saying. Maybe as far as like lifestyle, like a little just. I, I, cho- I would choose boring over right, right, like right, adventurous. Right. Adventurous is one thing, but like where you're breaking a law or, you know, getting yourself into a fight or something, you know, potentially. Right. I could do without. All right. Would you rather have a job that you hate but that pays you millions of dollars a year or have a job that you love that pays you just enough to get by? I'll go with B, but I'm not giving hope. uh, I'm not giving (laughs) up hope that you can... Have it all. Have it all. That you can be happy doing what you're doing and do well at it. I wonder, though... If a lot of these CEOs that like have to like be a slave to uh, corporate profits in the quarterly report, yeah, I often wonder how happy they are. Yeah, I'm like, sure some uh, of them are happy with all the money, but some of them are probably just fucking miserable. <laughs> I think yeah, like I think to achieve any like measurable level of success, whether it's wealth or fame or whatever you decide. You have to be okay with a certain amount of failure. Mm-hmm. You you have to fail to succeed. There is there is no success in a bubble, right? And uh, that's what I think a lot of those CEO types um, have have reconciled with themselves that everybody's not going to like them. That things they do are not always going to be popular. Things they do are going to be heartless, ruthless, and cold. Right. Um, but they have to do it to achieve the desired result that they're right. that they're pursuing. And but they, in the end, if they're not happy, 
with if the money can't make them happy, is it really worth it? Wouldn't it be better to be the union CEO to like really take care of your employees? Maybe it's, make a little less money, but like yeah, like, I, I imagine have a higher quality of life. I don't know. I'm just I imagine it's it. a very small nagging. <laughs> you know, most of the time they're probably living it up. Yeah, and then some of the time, maybe when they're alone in their mirrors. They're like, what have you done? <laughs> yeah. All Look right. at yourself. Would you rather have one eye in the middle of your head like a cyclops uh-huh. or have two noses? Oh, shit. Uh, God, I don't want either one of those. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll go with two noses, I guess. Yeah, man. You got to be able to look left and right. You can't do that with one eye. Yeah. Um, two noses would be kind of dope. Except for when it's something stinky is in the air. <laughs> Yeah. Then <laughs> it's like a curse. All right. Would you rather be given $1,000 or have the charity of your choice be given $10,000? The charity of choice. Definitely. Gotta do it, man. My goal Although, in life is to become a billionaire philanthropist right. so that I'm reconciling with having nothing now but having a billion dollars at some point in the future. Yeah. Because I'm going to give $990 million of it to somebody else anyway. So $10 million is what I'm going to keep and be rich. And in the process, I'll have raised a billion dollars for the benefit of others. So I agree. I would give the $10,000 to um, to my favorite charity. Having said that, as a caveat, and this is a discussion we might want to have on a future podcast, uh, I'm a strong, firm believer in the idea that charity is not a replacement for social justice. Uh-huh. Oftentimes, charity is a Band-Aid that uh, only temporarily fits fixes a systemic problem whereas social justice is how you make make fundamental changes that make a problem really or make really transform some a situation so that the problem no longer exists so if i were running for president in 2020 schneider 2020 right schneider 2020 my platform would consist of a rise of the nonprofit sector because right now they're playing by a different set of rules than the for-profit sector. And the for-profit sector is flourishing. It's carrying 90% of our society forward. Yeah. But there's that last 10% that you just talked about that are, that are you know, subject to nothing but charity. Mm-hmm. There's no way to monetize how to lift up the, the, the poorest of our poor and the sickest of our sick. Um, so I would promote a rise of the nonprofit sector. To the extent, at least, that you can pay for talent so that a CEO doesn't always go to the for-profit sector, but they go nonprofit and they raise a billion dollars for the benefit of others and get paid $10 million or whatever in the process, but they've earned it because they've achieved such a larger scale of the, of the pie uh, than they could have done if they were purely nonprofit under today's standards. All right. Question 21. Would you rather have the privilege to be able to listen to Solidarity Radio as much as you want, every day, all day if you want, but never be able to listen to any other podcasts? Or would you rather be allowed to listen to all the rest of the podcasts, but, no but never Solidarity. But no Solidarity Radio. It's, it's Solidarity Radio all the way for me, because I don't honestly listen to any other podcast. This is a format that you were more familiar with and wanted to work on together and I said my ADHD I don't I I can't even watch TV and movies half the time I've never been able to listen to a podcast from start to finish just because of of my uh setbacks you know so I appreciate the format 
But if there was only one I could listen to, it would be this one anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Ride or die, baby. Solidarity Radio for <laughs> life. <laughs> Ted Jeezy. Jason Dow. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. We're going to be back, and we are going to... Join us next time. Yes. Uh, we're going to be back at least three more times this year. Yeah. We are going to incorporate guests. If you listen this far... Contact us if it's through SoundCloud where you can leave a comment or send a message or something. Yeah, hit me and up. We'll at, figure out how to like add people to this too. I'm down. Hit me up at the leftahead at gmail.com. Leftahead at gmail.com. Or hit me up at one U underground rising at or, gmail.com. Or just talk to him at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Five <laughs> listeners out there, just talk to me on Monday at the, uh, the in the break room. To the people I told to listen to this. <laughs> Be and look, on the next episode. Look for us. Please help us. Look for us in the Apple Podcast Store, um, Google Coming Play Store. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts. Google Play. We're going to stay on the cloud that sounds. But thank you again for listening. We'll be back sometime later in the spring. Holla at your boys. Take care, everybody. Yeah, what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So keep it blasting through the speaker, let it ring throughout the slum. Ain't a thing we hold in common with these greedy parasites who would lash us in the surf, then we would crush us with their might. We gotta get it, get it poppin'. We gotta organize and fight, pushing back and never stopping through the union. We get right. Solidarity The prairies built the cities where they trade, dug their mines and built their websites and those miles of highway laid. Now we're standing and stopping outside the fortresses we made, but we're rowdy and we're boxing through the gates, we won't behave. All the world that's owned by Wall Street loans is ours and ours alone. We have laid the white foundation, built it skyward stone by stone. It is ours and not the slaving, but the master in the own. When we organize a cave and through the union, we atone. Solidarity Can turn. We can break the hottie power, gain a freedom when we learn That our voice will bring down showers till the grease ceases to burn With our hands we built a movement greater than their hoarded gold Greater than the mighty armies magnified a thousandfold Watch us as we birth the new world from the ashes of the old Share the wealth, disperse the riches, mighty union, we are bold, bold.